and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things we fear. No, nope. almost. What it is. No, we don't. That's not what it's about. <laughs> What's the podcast about, Marie? Hello and welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about what is it about? Oh my God, all the things that scare the shit out of us. I'm fearing you'll never get this right. Hey, I normally get it right. Come on now. Hello really and welcome close. to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us. And a few things that don't. I'm Marie, and across from me is my fellow judgment or podcast. <laughs> my fellow uh, old person who has trouble with short-term memory. <laughs> Maybe it's all the wine. I don't know. Well, I was thinking I just had a martini, so you got to cut me a little slack that I couldn't get our intro right. One martini now? That's all it takes. Yeah, because I'm not drinking every day anymore. Now I'm down to a drink during our podcast. Really? You have that much willpower? I'm trying to lose weight. A lot of us want to lose weight. <laughs> you want to know, it's interesting because when I first started dieting, I lost a bunch of weight, but I still wasn't happy with how I looked, like my stomach and everything. But now, three years later, I've put a lot of muscle on. And as the weight is coming off, I'm seeing it's like a four pack right now. <laughs> really? Good. Yeah, but it it's weird looking. It's like as the fat melts off, it's like, it's not exactly right looking. It's like there's lines showing up, but like I'm starting to have like the muscles show up. So that's exciting. So it's just a matter of like having the willpower because it is willpower. That's really what it is. I don't have any and I never have. Never. Well, look, I mean, we all have our own body issues, right? When I was really, really thin, people would attack me for being really, really thin. Same here. And then when you're overweight, people attack you for being, so it's like, it doesn't matter as a woman, you get grief no matter what. But, but I, I don't, that's not my motivation other than I really don't want to look ridiculous at the beach. My motivation is to feel better and to be healthy because I know that I'm not right now. So go and ask me what I fear. Cause then I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. What do you fear? So my fear, my fear, <laughs> my fear is that I talk too much about losing weight but I'm actually doing something about it I've been working out a lot that's great lot. so the COVID weight is not a myth it's a thing it wasn't just the COVID-19 it was the COVID-38 <laughs> I was yeah, double right. the required amount of COVID weight but um, I'm first of all I'm grateful I can be in Dallas and go to work out I'm grateful that the place I'm starting to work out is really really good some people are like the size of a straw and they're 23 and they go to SMU and I want to murder death kill suicide all of us but some of them are you know they're in their 30s and 40s or even older so I'm like all right we're all trying to do this together we're swimming in the same direction you know <laughs> yeah and I do remember once having a conversation with a bunch of ladies we were all struggling with our weight and one of the girls in the group said you have no right to talk about this because I can tell you're a naturally skinny person and I just thought to myself like I don't look at other women that I think look better than me or look different from me and go well they're probably not struggling with anything of course you don't no matter know what someone's story is yeah but if you're trying to meet the standard of a fitness model or an actress that has a personal trainer and a, a oh, chef no 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 no, no not at all please ladies and gentlemen don't do that i'm gonna quote what not to wear clinton kelly stacy london who i love and i hope they've made up by now because i know they had an internet falling out but one time they had a woman who's in her late 30s maybe early 40s i don't remember it's been a while and she was dressing like she was 23 and they said you know when you compete with 23 year olds 23 year olds always win and that is so true, ladies. Unless you're Jennifer fucking Lopez and you age backwards, you're going to lose to the 23-year-olds, okay? Right. I'm not competing with 23-year-olds. I don't even think I did that when I was 23. That's never been my bit. I just want to feel healthy. And I want to look in the mirror and not go, that's not healthy. And so I'm trying to work on it. Sometimes it's not even about the weight. It should just be about like what size pants you want to fit in and realistically maintain that right um so we're supposed to be a true crime comedy podcast <laughs> we're not trying to bum people out with our weight issue remember when we were trying to be funny let's sorry try funny. sorry I no 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 i'm the one who said it i'm the one who fears all things about all this but i will tell you that i am going on a beach trip and i'm excited about it even if i'm not gonna drop 12 pounds in the next four days <laughs> That's I love it. Day. You're like, I just want to be healthy and drop 12 pounds in three days. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Don't mistake that. 
I don't care how I get there. <laughs> I just want to be there. Right. That's my issue is I hate the journey of that. I just want to get there. Right. Um, like all right. So now. here we are, ladies and gentlemen, or, or ladies and gentlemen, because I think there's only one dude who listens to us. Hi, Dan. Um, so, what are you fearing today, Marie? I am fearing faith-based crime. I know that's very Ooh. general, but I saw this documentary a couple of weeks ago called Murder Among Mormons. Have you seen this documentary? Yes. And when I started watching it, all the stuff was like flooding back to me about a couple of other documentaries that I've seen. Uh, one was tabloid and another was abducted in plain sight. And after watching Murder Among Mormons, I just started thinking more and more about the circumstances, the theology, the things surrounding certain faith groups that maybe either lead people to commit crimes or become victims of crimes. Ooh. Since you've seen Murder Among Mormons, I really wanted to talk about this one because it really gets to the heart of a lot of reasons why people act out within uh, a religious context. So this is a true crime documentary. It's a three-part miniseries following Mark Hoffman, one of the most notable forgers in history. He created forgeries related to the Latter-day Saints movement. And essentially, you have this guy, he grew up in the Mormon faith. His family seemed pretty devout. Very devout. They seemed yeah. very devout. And Mark and his family also seemed to be devout members of the church. And at a certain point, he decided to start looking into Mormon history. And he fashioned himself as an expert on Mormon documents and history. And he grew to fame within the church because he just happened to find a bunch of different Mormon documents. And it was almost too hard to believe, right? The amount of ancient documents this guy was finding it wasn't just mormon documents no it was a uh, documents about history american history uh, all kinds of things and he was a quote-unquote treasure hunter from the time he was in high school and yeah. so he was always on the hunt on the search for finding that thing that's gonna be like oh my god there's a revelation in the documentary that even when he was a young boy he and his friends were digging around because they heard there were coins in this forest. And lo and behold, Mark Hoffman, as a teenager, found a jar of old coins. How did he come about that jar of coins, Marie? I have no idea. This guy's just really lucky when it's finding old, ancient documents. That's not true. He actually planted them. <laughs> he planted you them. You don't remember that he planted the coins? No, no, I'm just joking. I'm being, oh, okay. I'm, I'm like, teasing you. I'm teasing. I set that up for you. I gave you the alley you I know, I it. know. No, he planted the fucking coins. Like he was a forger from an early age. So yes. So most notably, this guy Mark Hoffman found when and when I say found, I'm making quote fingers. <laughs> <laughs> a document called the Salamander Letter, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's gonna be my password now. <laughs> I'm always looking for good things to be my password. You know, I didn't tell you this. By the way, <laughs> listeners, this is like, I think episode, I don't know, like 35 maybe. And thank y'all so much because we're on the very good download rate. And thank y'all. And we have listeners in like two or three dozen countries. So I'm like, oh. you told the whole world, including Slovenia. Oh, Australia, that my password is Russia, Salamander. But your new passwords are going to be. So just, just so you know, listeners in Italy, Marie's pretty open about her password. All you Vancouver listeners. <laughs> we saw that Will Ferrell movie where they start this like gambling operation in their house and they have this Thomas Kincaid painting on the wall hiding all their money in a safe. <laughs> and when the robbers come in, of course, they figure it out and they pull it down and then they torture them to get their password. And the password is 69247. And I'm like, that's my new password. <laughs> <laughs> But I got to replace all that now with the salamander letter. Yeah, the salamander anyway. letter, 69, 24-7. Okay. And I don't mean this in a derogatory way because I could play the same game with Protestant Christianity or Catholicism or Buddhism or anything else. But yeah, I mean, you're coming at this by the, yeah, let's do this little caveat. You're coming at this having been raised in a Church of Christ home right. where you faced your own amount of, of people thinking what they did about your religion or yeah, we all have our shit. So we're not coming at Mormonism or LDS at, at no, all. No, 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 no. Okay. 
so just, I, I just wanted to make sure to put it out there. Well, and here, here's a way to put it in context. Because we love our Utah listeners. Oh, we do. <laughs> I used to be a nanny for this little girl and her family was Jewish. And the mom made a big deal about it when I was interviewing. She asked me what my beliefs were and everything because, you know, they're Jewish. They don't want somebody coming in and like proselytizing to their kids. Yeah, I totally yeah. get it. Oh. And one day when I was maybe been working there a week or two, the little girl, she's like six or seven. She goes, so do you really believe that some guy like got nailed to a cross and then died and rose from the dead? Cause that is really creepy. <laughs> this is like a six from or the seven mouths year of old. six years old. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. And obviously her mom had talked to her about it and stuff, but I mean, she was just like really straightforward about it. There's no argument to be had that one faith is more sound than the other, you know? So, so basically this guy, Mark Hoffman forges a letter called the salamander letter. So the original story in the Mormon faith is that in, this is from MSN.com in 1823, an angel named Moroni guided 24-year-old Joseph Smith to a collection of golden plates with the lost third testament of the Bible inscribed on them. Okay, so now this guy, Mark Hoffman, writes a letter that says, this is from grunge.com, the salamander letter published by the LA Times claimed that Smith had also found a white salamander in a hole in which he found the golden plates and that the salamander turned into a spirit that forced him to exhume his dead brother for some unexplained reason. The letter also claims that he found some giant silver spectacles, which he used to translate the text. So this letter that flies in the face of the angel story is somehow going to up, upend everyone's faith in the Mormon church. At least that's what the leaders of the church believe. So they spend like $40,000 or something to buy this letter so they can bury it. Because Mark was a very good forger, some people validated that it was true. And this began a sort of pattern of Hoffman writing things that flew in the face of church doctrine and then selling it so that the church could bury it. Would you call that extorting it instead, maybe? Or like, yeah, I mean, extortion is a good... The thing that struck me, and it was like, like, I don't know why this was so threatening to the church. Ah, yes. I had that same question. And I am married to someone who knows a lot about this stuff. And I asked that same exact question of my husband. I don't understand why one thing is magical, but the other thing is faith-based or both of them seem like, okay. They both seem like magical stories to me. Yes. But I don't think they did a very good job in that documentary. Sorry, I like the show, but of explaining that. I think there was an assumption of a level of knowledge of the LDS faith that's missing for most people that they didn't really explain. Didn't really make that clear. So Hoffman obviously knew that this was a weakness in the leadership of the church to exploit. Yes. And also that there's concern that if stuff negates what the story is, that it'll somehow hurt people's faith or break people's faith in some way. And the guy that supposedly wrote the salamander letter was uh, a key member of the church as well. The guy's name was Martin Harris, actually. He actually went back to Martin Harris and said that's who wrote the letter. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Salamander letter was said to be written by Martin Harris on October 23rd, 1830, and addressed to William Phelps Wine, a newspaper publisher. So one example that this article I have says is it would be like if somebody found a document that says Moses actually got the Ten Commandments from the ghost of Elvis Presley. I'm sure they thought that was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. I don't find that funny at all. Um, I think whoever said that missed an opportunity to say something clever. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he was really going after exploiting Harris. I don't know. Like, I think that all religions within Christianity, everything, like, I could tell you a million stories from the Bible that are as fantastical as Angel Moroni and the Salamander. And so I think at a certain point, you kind of go, these are parables or these are stories with the lesson not meant to be taken fully literally. And so maybe the Mormon church is a young church compared to yeah i think that's part of it um 
because none of what we understand, you know, from the King James Bible was originally, A, it was, it was transcribed over and over again or whatever, but it wasn't written in English, you know, and so this religion is so new that it was already written in a form of English, you know, from the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I've done a fair amount of research on Christianity in general, and there's a lot of what they call apocryphal scriptures. Even within Judaism, there's a whole other Bible, if you will, that has stories in it that elaborate on like the story of Noah or things like that, that aren't widely accepted by Jewish people. So in a way, they're like apocryphal scriptures. In fact, the the Noah movie that came out was based on one of those Jewish apocryphal books. So you can go back and find all sorts of documents that people wrote about Christianity and the Catholic Church. They had a council. That's where the King James Bible came from. They had a council and they were like, nope, this one doesn't make the cut. This one right. makes the cut. And so then now we- The, the uh, book of Timothy. Yeah. Yeah. So the document we have has been culled down from- Right. A ton of stuff. Well, one of the things that is, and I will speak to part of this, I don't want to purport to be any sort of expert on the LDS, but one of the things I find interesting is the tenet of the LDS is that they will accept the Bible in its correct translation, which is an important distinction. You don't automatically accept what the Catholic Church did at the, whatever it was, that conference where they decided what stayed in the King James, whatever went and stayed was determined at that conference. They're not necessarily buying into that. They're saying as long as it was translated correctly, which I think is is actually a good thing because you can't say that every way that it's been translated from the beginning of time of, you know, the Old and New Testament, that it's still accurate. So, and I'm now I'm shitting on all Protestants. I'm sorry, I'm really not. <laughs> or Catholics too. But people who say, well, that the Bible, quote unquote, is infallible and it's a, what a translation or what version? And how do you know? Because humans are involved. It is fallible. Right. So, and I'll move on from the salamander letter to what happened, which is this guy, Mark Hoffman, just keeps finding more and more documents. And the the heat is getting turned up in such a way that he's about to be in trouble. He's about to be found out. Are you going to explain how he forged? Yeah. So explain how he forged. He was very, very smart about it. And there's certain things that are tested for in that world of documents and certain acidity to the paper and certain types of ink and things like that, that at first glance, one of his letters, it might've been the Salamander letter, actually passed the FBI test. Mm -hmm. And it took a couple of guys who really took a hard look at it to say, no, 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 here's the flaws. And it happened that the ink had cracked and ink from documents that were the same exact age did not crack. And so they figured out something had gone wrong. Yeah. But he was so brilliant at it. He was so talented that he could copy handwriting that was identical. I mean, I mean, we all have our shit, you know? I mean, you and I are pretty good at public speaking. I didn't learn it. We were born with it. You know what I mean? Like he was born forging calligraphy or whatever the fuck. And he just... He was so good at it. He He fooled everybody. He did. So he was basically putting it out there that he had this other new collection. And he just oversold it. Like he couldn't write it fast enough. He couldn't create it fast enough. And he was getting a lot of pressure from this guy named Stephen Christensen, who was kind of helping the church out with this issue. And Mark, under the pressure and everything, decided that his solution to this problem was going to be to make pipe bombs. Is that not the solution to everything? So he had a due date for a forged document that he wasn't finished with yet. And it takes a while to make these documents because he has to soak them in this and drain that. And he wasn't ready. And the deadline was looming and he was going to get found out. Exactly. So one morning he went up to the office of Stephen Christensen and planted a pipe bomb in a box with a remote and detonated it when Christensen went in his office. A horrible way to die. I mean, he had nails and all sorts of shrapnel in it, killed him instantly. He opened the box right at chest level like you do and it blew his chest apart. Yeah. Then he drove over to the house of Christensen's associate and put a box on the guy's doorstep and the guy's wife, Kathy Sheets, came outside and picked it up and was killed instantly by the bomb. And then 
a rumor started spreading that anybody that had to do with these documents was getting killed. And the police for a period of time even thought that Mark Hoffman was in danger. And so to throw the trail off of him, he blew himself up. So the way he put the bomb in his car and did everything, I'm sure this guy was pretty meticulous. He carefully calculated what the risk would be to himself, but he definitely staged blowing himself up. He had it in his trunk or something, right? It was in his trunk. So he knew that it wouldn't reach him or something. Yeah, he set it up. Like some people were saying, well, was he driving the bomb to another location and it went off in the back of the car? went off. I don't think so. I think he blew himself up. To, you think? I he felt do. the heat coming in and he was like, yeah. I'm going to take my chances and blow myself up. I think he calculated how far he needed to be away from it and what the damage would be. But it's possible he was going to plant it somewhere else. I mean, either way, he blew himself up either by accident or on purpose. And at first people were like, oh my God, he was another target. Yeah. I mean, at first it seemed like, you know, where's the next? Eventually the police figure it out because with all these cases, like the trail that you leave ends up haunting you. And uh, the police found all sorts of evidence of him forging and everything else. So I don't think that they've still discovered the extent of his deception because in that world, once things make their way into collections, it's often impossible to get them out. Yeah, and I was telling you the same thing about wine collectors, how that one guy that was forging wine, if you will, was selling millions and millions of dollars of like, here's a bottle that belonged to Napoleon, that kind of yeah. thing, like the Koch brothers <laughs> and people like that. So, and yeah. it's really hard once you spend a million dollars on a document, you don't ever want anybody to think it's forged. I'm sure the same thing happens with art as well. It does. In fact, and I don't know the guy's name. I wish I thought to look this up, but there's a guy, I think he's in Central America, who was the best forger in the history of time. And there's a documentary about him where he basically, he's like, I have art of mine under other artists' names, Degas, Monet, and every art museum in the world. That's how good I am. And wow. yes, yes. One of the things that, that I fear about people who get really, really embroiled in their religious beliefs to the extent that they don't ever question them is that they become targets. They become easy marks for criminals. And this guy grew up in the church and he just knew exactly the buttons to push. You know, this is all religions. Like, I just don't see how one letter can destroy an entire religion. I thought the salamander was kind of cute, but. <laughs> and again, I know I'm caveating, but I'll just say this one more time. There's not a judgment here from me or you about right. what you believe and why you believe it. Mm -hmm. But there is perhaps a level of naivete that might result from believing something so completely that you can only look at within the framework of that thing itself. Mm -hmm. If you don't allow outside ideas to come in, you don't ever question it and you don't ever question anything related to it. And then you end up with this situation or the abducted in plain sight, batshit crazy situation. So I don't want to transition if you're still talking about the forger guy. Is there more you want to talk about him? I was just struck by how Mark Hoffman is a criminal, a sociopath. And when you hear him being interviewed, he has no remorse. He thinks he's the shit and he's running. He was talking about with such glee, you know, how he tricked people in high school and I like just messing with people's lives. Yeah, he's, oh, yeah. But I do think that's where a lot of faith-based crimes start is people having to hide things either to protect their faith or to protect their status in the church. Because you have all these examples of people in Protestant Christianity and Catholicism killing themselves or their wives or killing people to hide an affair or to hide philandering, to hide stealing money, to hide crimes. But isn't Christianity supposed to be about forgiveness? What always gets me with these faith-based crimes is that in some cases, people just feel like they have no other option and they're just a person that's super indoctrinated and they're worried that their lives are going to be completely over and ruined. And so there's this duality that's being taught that religion is about forgiveness. But if you do any of these things, 
we're going to excommunicate you or disassociate with you. You're going to lose any sort of leadership in the church. So it's kind of sending it's, two it's messages. An uh, it's an interesting quandary, I guess, you know, like, because even if your religion doesn't necessarily say you're going to go to hell for eternity, you're going to face the consequences, even if people on earth don't know you did it, if you really believe in that faith, right? It's like, if you believe in a power that's greater than you, that's watching everything or knows everything on judgment day, uh, they're going to know that you killed your wife, even if everybody at the church didn't know that you did it, you know? Um, while you were talking, I was reminded of John List. He's the guy, he's the family annihilator. In the, oh, yeah, yeah. Who slaughtered his mother, his, his three or four kids and his wife, and then took off and wasn't found for many, many years until America's Most Wanted. But he killed them in the name of religion because he believed that they were on the path that was going to send them to hell. And he wanted them to die before they were going to hell. And I was like, like you just said, where's the forgiveness there? Your kids were teenagers. They were going to be forgiven if they asked for it, according to your own faith. But that's another one, you know, where he committed a crime literally in the name of religion that he believed that this was the right thing to do, you know. Now, this guy Hoffman wasn't. That wasn't his motivation. But then, like you said, there's the susceptibility, perhaps. Are you susceptible to believing in something that is fantastical to other people because you already believe in certain fantastical elements of your own faith that you are told to believe, you know, that you yeah. are instructed to believe most of the time from the time that you are a little kid. And then you are even more, and that's what I would say is, is the case with abducted in plain sight. Tell our audience a little bit about that. So if y'all have not watched the documentary abducted in plain sight, what the fuck are you doing? Stop this podcast now. Go watch it and come back because your brain will be falling out of your head because it's it's the batshit craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. Your eyes will be bugging out of your head. And I invite you to watch it with someone who is familiar with LDS teachings because I did. And so we paused it constantly where I would ask Curtis, what's this? What's this? Is this true? And he would explain how and why this occurred. So there was this dude, and I'm not going to say his name because he's a fucking molester, and they called him B, so let's call him B. He was a predator, and he molested or attempted to molest several children of people who were in his church, in the LDS church, and he would use his standing as someone who was upstanding in the faith, in the ward that they attended, to gain entryway into these girls' lives. And there was this family with one of the daughters named Jan and she was a young girl and he really just took a liking to her and he was kind of like their uncle or their godfather he would come over and he was like uncle B you know hey we play around and it, da, da, da. and then he ended up um, becoming very attached to Jan and he got very close to their parents more on that later um, and eventually he told the parents that he was seeking therapy and that part of his therapy was to be able to sleep in Jan's bed, even though she was like 12 or 13. And the parents were like, well, uh, I can't get in the way of his therapy. And eventually he took Jan and he set up this tape recorder thing where he kept her in a, I don't know, a van or a trailer. And he would play this tape recorder of a voice telling her that space aliens were taking over and that she was required to procreate with him. And eventually he did end up raping her. Even, I think she was like 13, right? Yeah, 13? something like that. Yeah. And eventually he brought her back. And this is the part where it takes a turn you're not going to fucking believe. The dude ended up having sexual relationships with both her mother and her father. <laughs> yeah, that was. And then... That was held over their heads. That was one of the ways that B's wife convinced the family not to go to the authorities about the kidnapping. It was because they were essentially extorted that the father having had sexual relationships with this man would be the end of their standing in the church. And when he brought Jan back after that is when he had this sexual affair with the mother. And do you remember this part where the mother was still so delighted talking about him she was like lit from the inside like talking about how great the sexual affair mm -hmm. was and i was like she's still in love with him it was so fucking creepy the wtf moment for me was when the father was describing how he and b the other dude went to go talk about yeah. marital issues and during the conversation 
the father says that B suddenly had an erection and then he was like and I mean what was I supposed to do I had to help him out with it I'm like uh, no that's not normal no <laughs> bro, bro to bro that ain't normal because he said it's just kid stuff that's his direct like, it's yeah. just kid stuff well here's also part of it is Curtis and I looked at each other and we asked each other uh you think that was the only time that they had sexual relations nah well, I read an interview with the filmmakers. I think it was Vanity Fair. I'll put it on our website, fearthispodcast.com. And they asked the filmmakers, do you think that was his only sexual encounter with him? And she actually, she goes, I don't know. They could have continued uh, later. But the implication for me was, yeah, we all wonder the same thing. I mean, this guy must have had such sway. It was incredible. Like, I mean, the look in the mom's eyes was like, the greatest sex of her life. I'm like, he raped your child. What are you talking about right now? You know? Yeah. Anyway, and then he kidnapped her again. Oh yeah, that's that part. The mom drove her to fly away with him to go to another state to spend the summer. Remember? Mm-hmm. The mom did that. What? <laughs> so I won't go into great detail about this documentary. I highly recommend watching it. It's called Tabloid by Errol Morris, but it ties into what we're talking about. Because at first, when we started this episode, I wasn't sure, like, what's the connective tissue, right? Because we talked beforehand, we're not coming on here to bash Mormons, right? Right. But then I realized what the key here is, is that in tabloid, you have this former Miss Wyoming who, I mean, when you hear stories from the beginning, it sounds like at a certain point, she might have been a sex worker that she was dealing with all sorts of shady people when she lived in Los Angeles. And she was somebody who was always looking for the main chance. And then she happened across a guy from the Mormon church. And he's a missionary, right? Who was a missionary, yeah. And ultimately, this becomes a big tabloid story because she supposedly kidnapped him, tied him to a bed, and forced him to have sex with her. But All these stories are examples of how people from the outside or in in certain circumstances like Mark Hoffman from the inside know the mentality or the weakness of the church in terms of theology and they're manipulating it. Well, that's that's B. Yeah. That's abducted in plain sight. He did the same thing with other girls in that neighborhood. Right. And in the Catholic Church, perfect example, the Keepers, pretty much anybody that's into true crime has probably seen the Keepers. You've got to watch Keepers, yeah. Which is just absolutely outrageous. But I think the lesson here is that people of faith need to practice the idea of forgiveness. Okay, but then I go with the parents of this girl forgave the, the kidnapper. That's part of the problem, right? Well, there's also problems with like sexual repression and people not being themselves. And that's something someone has to come to terms with. If you want to be a part of a religious group or a faith, but you don't want to practice the teachings of it, that's an internal problem that you have to deal with. Yeah. There's also the idea of twisting the belief system for your own means. And that B from Abducted in Plain Sight is a classic psychopathic manipulator. And he managed to figure out a way to use that belief system in order to get to these young girls. But some people are just mentally ill and, and susceptible to these teachings. And they twist them because their brains aren't capable of really understanding things. And then they turn into crime for that. Do you ever read John Krakauer? No. John Krakauer, he wrote Into Thin Air, which is a great book. Did you read that? About the hmm. climb to Everest where people ended up dead. I know. I'm familiar with the story, but I didn't read it. And he wrote Into the Wild. They made a movie out of it. About the guy who dies in the in the Alaskan. Yeah. Anyway, he wrote one called Under the Banner of Heaven about Brenda Lafferty, where she and her daughter were murdered by her brother-in-law. And He had joined an unofficial offshoot of the LDS church, and he blamed this woman and her baby for his wife leaving him. And he used this twisted interpretation of beliefs. Obviously, he had his own issues, but did he really believe it or was it an excuse? I don't know. Um, But one of the things that John Krakauer says is that there's a history of, in certain religions, including LDS church, but of course, many religions, 
that sexual violence and violence against women is very closely aligned with many churches teachings especially when mentally ill men enter the picture and that is from an article in Forbes by Sarah Aswell who is explaining kind of the abducted in plain sight ways that twisted belief in the LDS teachings can leave one either susceptible to or likely to use it for your own ends to commit crime you know well I have to go back to the whole Adam and Eve story so the idea is dude's good with God he's like following God and then the woman comes into the picture and she tempts him and the whole fall of man is based on that right and then as you go through the scriptures the many ways that women are portrayed as temptresses and the downfall of men in their lives and then were you taught that menstruation was a punishment for eve that all women have to face because i know some religions teach that yes so the punishment for adam was that he would have to work hard instead of just lounging around. (laughs) and the punishment for eve was that she would have pain in childbirth and then the punishment for the two of them is that there would always be enmity between men and women So I look at this in a certain way. A lot of these stories in the Bible or stories in the Book of Mormon or different religious documents reverse engineer what they see in the world, right? So the story of Adam and Eve goes, well, women have childbirth pain, which is unfair. And, you know, at this point in time, men had to struggle with the burden of supporting the family. And and then the whole enmity between men and women is like, well, yeah, there is a struggle between men and women because of their differences. And that just got reverse engineered into the Adam and Eve story. So okay. what disturbs me or what frightens me, I do think that a lot of practices in the church are antiquated and they don't fit with the times. A lot of the practices of churches are racist and sexist and homophobic you're not saying lds you're saying all the churches all churches no i'm not even talking about lds right now i'm talking about church like there's a struggle going on right now in religious communities where young people are saying i just don't believe this and i remember growing up like it's very hard for me to go to a church where they think women should quote unquote be silent yeah i bet And I just never found evidence of it in the Bible. But that's the stuff people focus on. I've noticed people are always focused on like really minute things. Do you have musical instruments or not? Do you believe in this tiny little bit of the theology? And then like, oh, well, I just found out something. So now I don't believe anything anymore. It's like, well, your faith is not that strong to begin with. If one tiny Mm -hmm. little thing is going to send you spiraling. One of the things that, uh, and I'm going to really give props to LDS and then at the same time shit on the Catholics. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I really thought was ridiculous versus one of the things I really admire. Okay. So back when the Passion of the, was it the Passion of the Christ? The Martin Scorsese one is The Last Temptation of Christ. That's it. Thank you. The Last Temptation of Christ. Because it's like been a while. It's how the Catholic Church like lost their shit over it. Right. Nobody can see this, tried to stop it, blah, 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 which is ridiculous because it's like this Trisand effect where you try to get something to be not paid attention to. So you shine a spotlight on it. Like she didn't want her house <laughs> featured. And so then everybody paid attention to her house on right. like some whatever. So when the Book of Mormon, the, the musical came out, the LDS church shrugged and just was like, whatevs, which I'm like, that's exactly how you fucking handle it. You cannot right. be so delicate that you're, that you're fragile enough to go, you can't possibly enjoy a musical that parodies anything about my faith. They ignored it, you know? And so Curtis and I saw it in New York, laughed our asses off. I spent the whole time asking Curtis, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? With him going, yes, yes, yes. Right, right. And then he took his mother to see it and she's deeply was deeply deeply into the faith um went to temple religiously you know service everything and he took her to see it when it came to dallas and she was her eyes were like saucers but she was like well i guess it's still accurate it's still accurate historically and by the way harris is mentioned in the show and so one time we're listening to the soundtrack in the car with Curtis's father and one of the songs comes on and we're laughing and singing along with it. And I look back at him and, and he's kind of like, he just kind of does this smirk. He's like, yeah, it's 
funny, but it's true. It's about like in 1978, God changed his mind about black people because they didn't allow them to be, I don't even know whatever the thing is. Right. I've, I've read about this. Yeah. And so it's like, you laugh at it, but it's true. It's factual in terms of the history of the church. And I was like, good for y'all for not being like, you can't go see that because that only makes people want to do it more, you know? Um, So, I mean, we just talked about the fragility because of the salamander letter, but still it's like, they're not so fragile that they can't handle a Tony-winning, amazing, hilarious musical that jabs at them for two and a half hours, you know? They just shrugged and turned their backs, which is fine, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is a fair point. I I think, because our whole show is about fear, and I think that a lot of people have fears that they hold inside about the religion that they grew up with and not wanting to be judged by friends and family and parents if they just don't believe it anymore. And I think there's a lot of religious people that are tortured because their lives don't reflect what they say they believe. And they're bagging on themselves about it when they should do an evaluation and go, can I believe this faith and still be a little more relaxed in these areas? Or is it like an all or nothing thing? Could I live my life and not be beholden to a church that doesn't let me live my life? Yeah, but maybe people just don't want to think about it, but I, or they think about it, but they can't possibly face their families, you know? Yeah, that was one thing I wanted to get into. What's the difference between a cult and like a church that's kind of mainstream? And I don't think the Mormon church is a cult. Obviously, the people that with the multiple wives out in the desert, that's definitely a cult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's because cults are about molesting girls. And that's what they do. Yeah. But I also think that within individual denominations of Christianity, there can be weird offshoots. Like in the Church of Christ for a while, there was this denomination called the United Church of Christ. I don't know where the name came from, but essentially what they were doing was they were taking a more aggressive approach to membership. When people would join the church, it would be a buddy system and like a couple would join and then another couple would be assigned to them. And that couple would oversee their finances and advise them on purchases. And at a certain point, the church was wanting you to like turn their finances over to them. That's culty. Very culty. Yeah. So I think that individual churches sometimes and offshoots of churches can get really culty. And I think that's the thing you have to just keep an eye out for. And this is where like some of the molesting and weirdness starts is when you completely turn yourself and your identity over to the church. And I know that a lot of people believe you should turn yourself completely over to Christ or to God, but that's different than turning yourself over to human beings, you know? Yeah. Like in the Catholic church, how the Catholics equate their priests and their bishops to God, like this is God on earth. Yeah. And then that's part of the ways that the scourge of priests molesting children was able to just flourish for all those generations. I mean, and it's been going on for generations, Mm -hmm. centuries maybe, because parents believe in the church blindly. And I say that accurately, blindly believe in the church. There's no way that you could say terrible things about the priest. This person is connected to God and that's what they prey upon. Mm -hmm. And the guy in abducted in plain sight, B, it wasn't that he was a priest where it was like, he's connected to God. But he used that same type of belief in a system that says, if you are within this group, you are automatically given the benefit of all doubt Mm -hmm. to the exclusion of all logic. And that to me is the problem. And people look at that show, you know, and they go, how could you let anybody sleep in your teenager's bed? You have to see it through the lens of you do not question which my issue with this whole thing is how do you not question? I spent my life questioning. I went to Southern Baptist Sunday school and all I could do was question. They didn't like me very much, but if you're not allowed to question, then things like this flourish. And again, these scriptures are by and large stories and parables. They're not exactly how things happened. And you have to get out of that infantile way of thinking, really. It's not like the world was magical and then dinosaurs died and it sucked all the magic out of the earth or whatever like you know no yeah it just never was 
And these are just stories that people tell because, I mean, when there wasn't TV, you threw a salamander in there and you threw a talking snake and it was just, <laughs> you had to mix it up a little bit more, right? So TV put an end to that? Yeah, TV <laughs> killed magic. Thank you, RCA. <laughs> I don't know, I'm just making it up. I mean, no, I don't think you're wrong. I just think that was a funny way of saying it. I've thought about this too, because like, because you know, the Church of Christ doesn't believe in celebrating Christmas or Easter or any of those. I thought they celebrated Christmas at a different time of year, no? No, they don't believe okay. in celebrating okay. any of those holidays as religious holidays. We can celebrate them as secular holidays. Okay. So I can have Santa and the elf on the shelf and all that, but no Jesus. The reason for the season is eliminated. That's yes. so interesting. Well, <laughs> so every justification that they have for beliefs or like, for instance, this one always made me laugh. So they don't believe in dancing. So they'll be like, well, every time somebody danced in the Bible, something bad happened. That's why. That's their logic? Yeah. Or, well, the ancient Christians didn't use instruments. So that's why you can't use instruments. I'm like, well, the ancient Christians were hiding in the catacombs. <laughs> so they didn't they have electricity get, either. Yeah. And they didn't want to get murdered. So they're probably not going to be rocking out in the catacombs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, or, oh, even, or even the stuff about women staying silent. There's one passage in the Bible that says that. And if you study it, study it a little bit more, what was happening is there was a group of women gossiping and talking loudly during church. And so the Apostle Paul was like, you ladies need to fuck. knock it off. <laughs> yeah, that's one interpretation. But my other interpretation could be it was the culture of the time. So Jesus comes in, he's going to start slowly, right? He's not going to be like, now women can say whatever they want and there's not going to be any slavery and, you know, come on. It's not going to happen like that, you know? But it's so frightening what little girls and what little boys are being taught about relationships between men. What's and the quote? What? What? So the passage is that wives should submit to their husbands. You know the passage? I was asked oh. about that in my interpersonal class once. When okay. I was talking about relationship control. So nobody reads any further, but sure. if you read further, it says husbands should love their wives as they love their own body. And then it goes on to say in Christ, there's neither free nor slave, male nor female, Jew nor Greek. So he's saying, well, nobody's really in charge. You guys should just like love each other equally. Right. And then if you really believe in Jesus, then none of these labels should matter. Drop the mic. Right. <laughs> but no, <laughs> did Jesus drop the mic? Like, I don't need a decoder ring to figure that one out. I mean, if we're going to really dive into it, I just can't understand why we even talk about the Old Testament at all, because the New Testament is the New Testament. The New Testament replaces the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, there was no Christ. There was predictions of Christ, but there was Agreed. no Christ. And the golden rule replaces all that other shit. But we still talk about all that other shit instead of just the golden rule. I completely agree. I completely agree. But I'm saying a lot of people of faith are obsessed with the role of the man and the woman I know. in the relationship. So... James and I are in Napa and we're packing up the, the car with wine. And I don't like the way James is packing the wine up for a variety of sound reasons that have to do with wine going bad, being in the sun. So we have a conversation about it and I'm being very specific about what I want him to do. And my, whatever you call her, <laughs> one of the wives of my father-in-law pulls me aside away from the men and okay. says, I just want to give you a bit of marriage advice. Oh Lord. She goes, I've learned you never tell a man what to do. And I said, well, that's not how our relationship works. You said, Hey James, will you tell her that I always tell you what to do? <laughs> tell her that I'm the one. <laughs> if you had done that, you'd be my fucking hero for all the fucking time. <laughs> It was already a tenuous weekend, so <laughs> let's not throw fuel under the fire. But I was, I know you don't like it when I say I was talking to James about this, but it relates. I was talking to James about this. Don't say I don't like it. I'm just telling you. Editing oh, no, I, know. I need stop. to do better about it. I'm trying to stop. I'm telling you what to do. Ooh. Quit telling me what to do. There's nothing in the Bible that says... <laughs> that your podcast gets to tell you what to do. <laughs> so, so I... <laughs> I said to him, I'm like so sick of hearing all this crap about 
what role women are supposed to play in relationships and what a woman should be and this and that and a good woman is meek and keeps her mouth shut and all this I just hate that kind of talk you know and it's still so prevalent in our culture and especially in religious culture and I said you know the two of us have never had a single conversation about who should submit or who's dominant or who's in charge it everything just happens naturally do you know what I'm saying like yes he's good at finances so I give him my check like he's my pimp and I never think about it, you know? So in that sense, am I letting him have dominance over our finances? Yes. We did not have a conversation about it. I didn't say, I submit my finances to you as a woman or whatever. And similarly, you know, I happen to fall into the role of cooking dinner. We didn't have a conversation that that was women's work. It just happens to be something I enjoy doing. So I don't know. I don't know what all this conversation is about, but it seems to be a big issue and it seems to lead to murder. Yes, it does. And it's curious to me why people are so obsessed with what the roles in the relationship should be. And it, it leads to unhappiness. It leads to divorce, it leads to drug addiction. It leads to murder. I mean, it leads to infidelity. It leads to abducted in plain sight. I mean, it leads to yeah. all kinds of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we probably ought to wrap this up soon. We've been going on a while. But... No, and we're meandering. I, I don't know. Well, like... I mean, I wanted to bring up the the Lori Daybell and Chad Daybell stuff, but maybe we really should do that next week because we can carry this over because I have so much material on them and it's related to the same idea of, of submission to or fealty to an idea of a blind faith in something. And that could lead to right. never critically thinking or thinking for yourself. Or if you do... You're going to do an offshoot of whatever the real stuff is and you turn into something ugly or turn into something cultish. And that is very dangerous. A lot of cults are offshoots of some religion that wasn't necessarily damaging or dangerous itself, but they take parts of it and turn it into something really ugly. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm trying to get to the heart of. I'm throwing a lot of just nuggets out there of thoughts, but it's really about be objective and thoughtful about your faith in whatever it is that shouldn't hurt your faith in some ways it might protect you you know and in other ways it's healthy it's healthy to question things yes if you question it then you come back stronger exactly and and if you are a member of a of a or a leader within a church and and you're listening to this i would say why um, but, <laughs> right didn't you see the explicit but, <laughs> allowing allowing dissent is not negative it can reinforce everyone's faith yeah why can't we coexist with people that we don't agree with everything on that's always curious to me too like we could all be in the mormon church some of us rocking the salamander letter some of us rocking moroni and all you know <laughs> being happy together i'm like team salamander and you're like team moroni <laughs> we should get t-shirts i'm team salamander <laughs> i have to be team moroni well i know sal the salamander is false but i just love that word salamander well, and that's all my passwords are salamander <laughs> oh those are your passwords well also because i'm so pale i gotta be white salamander <laughs> oh he was the white salamander i, I was the part. white salamander yeah you would have to be well, the, the off-white salamander because you're a little more tan than me. Marie, everyone's more tan than you. <laughs> then I have to be Moroni, which is not too bad because he's on top of all the temples. Yeah. And he's like, they're golden god up there. So you're not I Moroni. Be... That's blasphemous. You're team Moroni. No, that's what I mean. I'll be team okay. Moroni. Okay. Not team salamander. You're blasphemous. <laughs> you're the one who's making shit up and and then putting shit into church doctrine that's not real that's right oh, nice real. salamander over here <laughs> <laughs> okay right. i'm gonna reiterate because we've lost everyone who ever listened to us in utah uh we are not making fun we are making light there's a difference so we 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 just we respect all of your beliefs unless they involve abusing children we do not judge anybody's beliefs unless they involve abusing children or women <laughs> yeah, we're not laughing we're behind your back we're laughing in front of your face that's we're laughing in front say. of your face and we laugh at everyone including ourselves yes I, so, i'm laughing the I'm other not. day i said something 
remember what I said with Curtis. I was like, yeah, and people are laughing at us. And, uh, and he's like laughing with you or at you. I go, I don't care. I, I literally don't care if you laugh at us. I would laugh at us. I think we're ridiculous, but it's okay. <laughs> laugh with us too, you know? Well, as as we're wrapping up, I would just say to listeners, like religion is a very interesting topic to me. You know, I grew up in a religious family and I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, but I would love to start a dialogue with any listeners if they want to talk about this. It's an important thing in people's lives. And I think that a lot of people are suffering cognitive dissonance in a certain way and trying to figure out that's why church attendance is going down. Because people are trying to figure out how can I be a person of faith and also be myself? And are those things compatible? And in some people that causes such a great disturbance that it leads to crime or it leads to them victimizing other people and or leads to them being vulnerable to people victimizing them to being victims. And so, yeah, let me reiterate this too, before we wrap it up too, is people love to judge the parents and abducted in plain sight because it is so outside of most of our understandings of how parents should behave or to recognizing danger. And for me, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this topic is because you could be so naive as to ignore danger when it's right in front of you, which is the problem because danger was right in front of them, but they believed so completely and utterly in the goodness of people who were in that church or were their neighbors in that ward of that church that they ignored the danger right in front of them. People don't ignore the danger right in front of you. Don't assume anything about whether or not someone is good or bad or has good intentions based on the fact that they attend church because predators can attend church too. And that guy was a fucking predator. And whether or not he went to church and professed certain things did not represent what was in his heart because what was in his heart was evil. Yeah. So, so hopefully your takeaway from this is you should trust no one except (laughs) us. Except us. <laughs> That's going to be our, let's we're do an totally. Marie, we're going to start a cult. We're going to start the NFT cult. And then you can't NFT. listen to anybody but us. Yeah. And I'm going to base our whole cult on a white salamander finding a Dr. Pepper in the woods, a golden Dr. Pepper. <laughs> we'll have to yeah. work on our origin stories. We're not very good at making our cult. We'll work on that. We're better, we're at, get better at it. Yeah, we'll get better at the cult. And so a few episodes ago, we did one on um, ASMR, which I deliberately would refer to as the wrong thing just to make Marie crazy. And so maybe we'll start putting people to sleep with join our cult. Right, right. (laughs) You know, you want to. All the cool kids are doing it. (laughs) Now tongue the microphone. Yeah, then I have to like... We just already, we already screwed up, right? You're not supposed to talk about politics or religion in public. So we just talked about religion. We talked about QAnon, which is political. So we're going to lose everybody. Yeah. We're going to lose everybody. But, you know, fuck them if they can't take a joke. All right. All right. Ready to wrap this up? Yeah. So I think that um, this is going to be the first time I don't ask you to go to iTunes and give us five stars. You know what? If you want to, do. If you don't, don't. You may or may not want to email us at fearless at nowfear.com. You may or may not. I don't care. I don't know. We love you anyway. Whatever. Um, And you may or may not want to go to our website, fearthispodcast.com, because it may or may not change your life. I don't know. Who knows? Could you know? Nobody could possibly know. Well, everyone knows it changes your life, but we're not needy. We're not desperate. You know, you want to give us some love. Great. If you don't, we have enough love for ourselves. (laughs) How was that? (laughs) I really believed that you promising to press buns into your eyeballs would make people give us reviews. Yeah, well, you were at first promising that I would do anything with bread. That might have gone. No, I didn't. It wasn't obscene. I know, but you were like, Marie will do anything with bread. I'm like, (laughs) sure, we would have gotten like a ton of requests. (laughs) You were going to stick like those those bread sticks into your ears. I mean, you had all kinds of ideas. Yeah. Apparently nobody cares about seeing that. And so I don't know what to say. If my hair Uh, gets longer, I can use those bread sticks to like do that chopstick thing with my hair. I I wish I could do that. My hair will not do that. You You have fine textured hair? Very fine. Yeah, I do too. My hair doesn't. Like I'm growing my hair out, but I'm telling you, my hair will not stay in the little pony holder. At least mine is, look how long it is now. Look. Yeah. Um, it's really grown in COVID. <laughs> like this is. You want to leave it that long or? I'm going to let it grow. Yeah. It needs to be down boob length and then I'm done. My but, hair is um, long. I know it's longest I've seen it in a while. Yeah. 
but yeah it's curly so uh, it has texture to it but it's still really fine which makes it very difficult to style but at least a ponytail holder will hold it most of the time anyway now that we know that um you know <laughs> i can guess your religion everybody and uh <laughs> we'll have a great weekend <laughs>